how do you respond? Everybody's a responder. Everybody has a habit of responding. Everybody has patterns of responding. How do you respond? Um, The Oregon shooting, the community college, you've got two detectives five minutes away. They hear on the radio, and they rush to the scene with no bulletproof vests, no protective armor, and they pursued the shooter, and they shot, and then just one of them got shot himself, Uh, but they they responded. Would you do that? Are, are you that kind of a person who can respond to danger? Um, there was another young man who'd been an Army veteran for 10 years, and he was going back to college for the first time in over 10 years, and this young man charged the shooter, and he was shot seven times. Miraculously, he lived, broke both bones, broke, broke both legs, but he's, he's going to be fine. How, would you, how do you respond? What type of responder are you? Um, in that same shooting, one last story, they, they brought all those students together, the shooter did, and he asked them about their religious affiliation. And if they were Christians, he shot them. And you were number two or number three, and you realize what's taking place here. You understand how this works. You know exactly what's going to happen if you say, I believe in Jesus. How, how, how would you respond? Everybody in the room has a pattern of responding. What, what's, what's yours? How do you respond to stress? How do you respond to conflict? How do you respond to opportunities? I mean, we, we live in America. We live in the land of opportunity. How do you respond to the opportunities that are, are around you? How, how do you respond to humor? Um, Jimmy Fallon, your kind of guy, late night jokes, is that your kind of, kind of humor? That's not really mine, but some of you like Jimmy Fallon, like that kind of humor. Uh, mine would be more like if somebody's got a communion tray and they miss that last step right here <laughs> and they spill communion juice all over, sorry, all over you all in the front row. As um, long as they didn't break anything, I am laughing hysterically, Okay. How many of you in the room, though, would feel sorry for the person that tripped? How many, raise your hand. How many feel sorry? How many of you would be laughing hysterically at the person? See, those are the people in the room that need communion, just like me. That's exactly right. Everybody has a pattern of responding to something. So Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus now is offering a new approach to God. In fact, it wasn't just a new approach to God. It was the approach to God. He was offering the right way to God. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he said, look, you know, I know how we used to do it, but there's now a new approach to God and and I'm it. You used to offer lambs, but I am the lamb of God. You used to go, you know, to the synagogues and the Sabbath and the temple three times a year and offer, but I am now the temple of God and you will become the temple of God. And so everybody heard this new approach to God. The Sermon on the Mount was like revolutionary, new and fresh and changing. And everybody now has a chance to have a fresh connection with God because it used to be all about rules. Now it's going to be about a relationship. And everybody's going to have to respond to Jesus. And in this story today, you will find yourself. And in this story today, you will find your family, and you will find your friends, 
and you will find your coworker, and you will find all the people in your life, and I think by today's story, you'll be able to connect a lot of dots, and things will really begin to make sense as to how people respond. Now, everybody responds in kind of one of four ways. Jesus is clear about this. People respond to his approach to this fresh relationship, they approach in one of four ways. If you're a note taker, you can write these down in your bulletin if you're, if you're interested in that to keep these. The first one is no. The first one is just no. I, I'm, I'm not going to respond to God. Jesus offers forgiveness of sins. No. Jesus offers you eternal life. No. Jesus offers to take away your shame, shame and your pain. Not going to do it. No. So the first way people respond to God is I'm not going to do it. Just no. Now, you've got people in your life like that. You, you may be like that this morning. You may be in that category. Category number two is okay. Well, let me tell you a little bit. Oh, okay. Well, I, I want to tell you a little bit about Jesus. Oh, okay. Well, well can, I, can, I, can, I, can I tell you the whole story? Can I, can I tell you what's involved? Can I tell you that there's a cost to it? Can I tell you that you have to pick up your cross and follow him? Oh, okay. Okay. Wh- whatever it takes, I'm there. I'll do it. And that kind of a person really hasn't thought about the cost. They haven't really thought about what's involved. They would not be those students who counted the cost with the shooter when he said, are you a Christian? That's not number two. Number three, people respond with yes, but. Now, if you've been married over eight minutes, you understand yes, but. Okay, you get this. Will you take out the trash? Yes, but. Will you pick up the cleaning? Yes, but. Everybody in the room gets that. If the price is too high, not gonna get, it's not going to get done, right? And so again, the yes, but is, I like Jesus. I like this approach to God. I, I love this incredible offer, but I'm not sure how to reconcile that with like my past, because I got some patterns in my past, how I learned to navigate through life. And when the worries of the world and, and wealth and trouble comes, then I've got a, a collusion of values. There's going to be a collision here of values, and I'm not quite sure. That's the yes, but. The fourth way that we, we respond to God, fourth approach to God is, I'm all in. I haven't figured it all out, but I'm all in. I don't understand all 66 books, but I'm all in. I don't understand everything there is about grace and mercy and all that stuff, but baby, this offer of salvation forever and this journey with God, I am all in. That's, that's category number four. So today, you will find yourself. You're, you're in this story, and you've got family, and you've got friends and coworkers, and, and we're all in this story today. And so Jesus tells a parable in Matthew chapter 13. And it's just a great story. He tells a parable, and it's a farmer, and it's seed and sowing, and all that good stuff. And um, it'll just make perfect sense. So Matthew chapter 13, here's what Jesus says. That same day, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat by a lake. Such large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat, and he sat in it. Now, I don't know. This is revolutionary. This is unorthodox. People don't teach from boats in that culture. We like this. We think this is cool. We live in the Gulf of Mexico. We live next to Lake Tarpon. We, we, got, we like this. But this was probably really weird to all the people. We just accept it and just kind of read over it. Look at verse 3. So here's the story. 
Then Jesus told them many things in parables. And he's, he's going to talk about now a farmer. He's going to talk about a farmer sows. He's going to talk about soil. And he's going to talk about seed. And all of these make an impact. A farmer who sows, there's soil and there's seed. So a farmer went out to sow his seed, okay? And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. Now, again, let's say that, like, this is my plot of ground right here, and this is, like, you know, your plot of ground right here, and in between it, there's, like, an, an ox cart path. And so this is good soil over here, all these folks here. This is good soil here, all these folks here. But this right here, nothing's going to grow here because the ox cart keeps running over it, and it's just pounding, pounding, pounding. So the seed can't get into it. That's what he's saying here. Some seed fell on this hard path, and the seeds won't ever germinate that. So the birds come. So the birds came, and they ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Imagine like a little aquarium tank that I would hold in my hands. And let's say like on the bottom there's gravel and the bottom there's rock and the very top is maybe like an inch of dirt. And you put like a little green bean seed in there and maybe it would, it would spring up quickly because the roots are shallow. But once it got past that inch of dirt, it finds rocks and sand, it won't grow. It just can't grow anymore. That's the illustration there. Next verse. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and it choked the plants. Still other seed, and this is the good part, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Verse 9, Jesus says now, in other words, can you hear it? He's he's saying, do you get it? Are are you tracking with me? Are you following this? He says, he who has ears, let them hear. Well, verse 10, the disciples weren't tracking with him. Look at verse 10. Disciples came to him and they said, huh? This is basically a huh? Jesus, the most brilliant teacher of all. These guys are not real bright. Why do you speak to the people in parables? In other words, we're not really getting it. And so now Jesus is going to explain to them these four different types of soil. Remember, everybody responds, no, okay, yes, but, all in. Everybody responds one of those four ways. So here's verse 18. Drop down to verse 18, and here's what he says. So now Jesus is going to explain to them what the parable means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. So you've got a sower who's out there sowing the seed. The sower is Jesus. Jesus is the farmer in the illustration. So Jesus is sowing seeds in your life. He's sowing seeds in your families. He's sowing seeds in everybody's life. This whole thing about going to heaven is way too important just to leave to you and me. He's out there sowing the seeds. So he sowed seeds, but they didn't germinate. So whoever hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. Jesus is going to sow something in everybody's heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word, and at once they receive it with joy. They're they're, they're stoked about it. They're excited about it. Look at the next verse. But... There's no roots there, 
and they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. All right? So I got a picture here. This is kind of like an old field. You can, those of you that are from the Midwest, you get this. Like the, the year before this, this was a cornfield full of corn, acre, acres of corn. And for whatever reason, the next season, the farmer decides not to plant it. But some of the seeds, as they were harvesting, fell on the ground. They didn't get all the corn. Some of it fell on the ground. And now the next year, it sprang up. And so it's got corn shooting up there and bristles and briars and thickets. And, and, and this is what he's talking about to the people who worry about all the things that the world's going to throw at you. You worry about all that, your heart, your spiritual life will get choked out. And that's a great example. That's a great picture of getting choked out. The next verse is what you want. But the seed that falls on good soil refers to someone who hears the word, they understand the word, and they then produce an amazing crop, 160 or, or 30-fold. So everybody responds, no. Okay, yes, but all in. And so the no people would say, I just, I just have doubts. I have doubts about God. I have doubts about his goodness. I'm disappointed with God. I have doubts about the scriptures. I have doubts about church. I have doubts about church people. Well, we all do. I have doubts about, you know, some of the things that take place in church. We all do. But the people who are no are saying, I, I just don't think God can be trusted. I just don't think it's worth giving my life to God. That would be an example of the no, the the no people. The next one would be the okay. And the okay is saying, I haven't really counted the cost. I don't really know what it means to take up my cross and follow me. I don't really know what it means to, you know, go all in. I I just haven't really thought about it. I kind of like what Christ offers, and so Christianity is fine, but maybe something better is going to come along. The the, the, the okay people haven't thought the whole thing through. The yes, but really want to do what's right. They really want to get it together with God. They, They really are striving to do the things that are, but the yes, but they grew up with parents or grandparents who did business a certain way. And when, when there's stress in work or in family, they know what the scriptures say, but they choose to go back and revert to how dad or grandpa or grandma got things done. And that's how we're going to get things done. Those are the ones that get all choked up and choked out. And the deceitfulness of wealth And persecution and trials and troubles just choke out the yes but people. But the ones that are all in, man, there's a harvest. Look at this little clip here. The ones that are all in, there's just an amazing harvest that takes place. Acres and acres and acres of fruit from you trusting in the Lord. Acres and acres and acres of yields because you decided that you were going to put your hope in him. And this is the fourth soil. This is the fourth type of soil. This soil says, I am all in. All right, so I think you get the story, right? I think you, you understand the story. And so I don't know, are any of you farmers in the room, have any of you been farmers in your life? 
Okay, raise your hands high. Okay, all right. Good, about eight of you. That's great. That's great. All right. Have any of you that grown tomatoes or anything in your life? Raise your hand if you've grown something green and it lived and you could eat it. Okay, raise your hand. Okay. All right, that's good. All right. These guys are cheesy here, all these Floridians. Um, so I've got a friend of mine, um, Lloyd, and they farm. They own about 300 acres and they, they cash rent about another 600. So they, they farm about six, uh, they farm about 900 acres. And I got another friend named Mike House, and Mike and his brother, they farm over 3,000 acres. This is a huge farm just north of Cicero and Kokomo, Indiana. And um, we were all at um, Fort Myers and, and all kind of vacation in the same area, so we were having a cookout. So I'm listening to these two farmers, and we're grilling some, um, what were we grilling? It was fish. It was um, snapper. We were grilling, not that that matters. We were grilling red snapper. And, we were, and it was great. So we're out there for a while. And, I, and I'm, I'm just listening to these two farmers. And I'm asking them questions about farming. I, what do you worry about? What are your biggest concerns? What are your biggest challenges? What, what, what are your biggest yields? And I'm just, the whole time, I'm just peppering them with questions. And it was really interesting. Because neither one of these farmers really worry about sowing the seed. If you do your job right, they say, and you take care of your tractors, that's the easy part. Sowing the seed was the easy part. They both worry about two things. They worry about the seed, and they worry about the soil. And they talked about the seed and how the seed could be too moist or too hot or too dry or too, you know, and they mentioned a bunch of agricultural technical terms that I can't remember and can't even pronounce. But it was really cool to listen. But, but they also worry about the soil. So they worry about the seed and they worry about the soil. Now in this story, it's an amazing story, because in this story, we don't have to worry about the sower. The farmer in this story is Jesus, and Jesus is going to sow his seed. We don't have to worry about the sowing. The sowing's going to get done. The sowing's going to take place, so the farmer's going to scatter his seed. We don't need to worry about the farmer in this story. We don't need to worry about the seed. The seed in this story is the Word of God. And the Word of God is what Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are constantly sowing. And we don't need to worry about the seed. The seed is the Scriptures. You can't improve upon the Scriptures. The Scriptures are inspired. The the, the seed is awesome. In this story, what we worry about and need to be concerned about is the soil. And the soil is the human heart. It's the human heart that has to be just right for the seed to be able to penetrate and for the seed then to be able to germinate. And so for just a few minutes, I want to talk about your heart. Look at the next little slide I want to put up there. The truth of God's Word must take root in your heart. When it takes root, there is, I know this is cheesy, there's fruit, all right? You see, without the root there's no fruit. But with the root, there's always fruit. If you throw some apple seeds in the ground, eventually you're going to have an apple tree, and what, three or four years later, it'll produce apples that you can eat. You put some corn seeds in the ground, you're going to have a germination of corn, and then, what, 90 days or 100 days, you can harvest an acreage of corn. And so this is where God's work. So as a church, why are we as pastors and elders always trying to get you to read the Bible? Why are we always trying to get you to have a quiet time? 
Why are we trying to get you to spend five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes a day just studying the scriptures? Why are we trying to get you to do that? Because this is what we know. Without God's word taking root in your heart, there's not the next six things that I just want to mention. I'm just going to give you the references on this. But when this happens, the next thing happens. There's holiness. You see, holiness is a byproduct of the, of the root now taking depth and bearing fruit. Holiness is the result. You're not going to just, oh, I'm going to be holy today. Today, I'm going to be holy. Tomorrow, I'm not going to be holy. But today, I'm going to be really holy. Nobody can just kind of manufacture holiness. You've tried. You know how I know you can't do it? I've tried. You can't do it. You cannot manifest that. You can't manufacture it. It comes from the Word of God taking root. The next one is Christian character. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All that takes place as a result of the root. Look at the next one. Good works. Next one, sharing your faith, sharing what you have, and praising God. All those things come, friends. They all come as a result of the Word of God, the seed being planted in the soil of your heart. So what should you worry about? Well, preacher, I thought we weren't supposed to worry about anything. You should worry about the soil. You should be very concerned about the soil. You should be very, very aware of the necessity of great soil. My farmer friend's worried about the seed. We don't have to worry about the seed. We've got the scriptures. The scriptures tell us and teach us and guide us and lead us and help us. We've got the seed. The farmer's Jesus. He's out there sowing, 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 sowing. What you need to worry about and what I need to worry about is my heart, which is the soil. So I have five suggestions for you now to worry about and be concerned about. I shouldn't say worry, but for you to lean into, okay? Here they are, number one. Smartest man in the world said for you to guard your heart. This is Proverbs. This is Solomon. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Solomon says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Isn't that true? Isn't that true when your heart's like out of sync? Your life's out of sync. But when your heart is aligned and lined up with your core values and who you are, everything in life kind of begins to fall in place. Just get that heart out of alignment. And so this is why King Solomon said, above all else, whatever you do, guard your heart. The farmer guards the soil with his life because the soil is his livelihood. Well, let's look at the next one. Not only should we guard our hearts, we should apply our heart. Proverbs 22, verse 17 says, Pay attention and turn your ear to the sayings of the wise. Apply your heart to what I teach. So we surround ourselves with wise people. I I think one of the reasons why, too, I am so stoked about the wedding chapel. And by by the way, you continue to to give money to it. We had $13,000 last week that came in. We're now up to $886,000 to the wedding chapel. That is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. But what I'm so excited about is, is can you imagine those of us in this room that are a little bit older, those of us in this room that have made some mistakes in marriage and we were self-centered and we were selfish and we didn't get it, we didn't understand it. Can you imagine what we can do with a young bride and a young, a young groom? We can spend time like that. 
And so, so some of you in this room, you're going to be asked to be, you know, mentors. And you're going, well, how in the world can I be a mentor? I made all these mistakes. That's why you'll be a good mentor. You made all those mistakes. And you're going to tell some young groom and some young bride, this is what I did. That was a bonehead move. Whatever you do, don't say that. Don't do that. And, and this is what he's saying. He's saying, apply your heart. Pay attention. Turn your ear to the sayings of the wise. Now, how do you get wise? Well, one way you get wise is you listen to other people. Another way is, is you learn the hard way. But it's a whole lot better not to learn the hard way, isn't it? The hard way hurts. We have a lot of scars because we've learned the hard way, right? So he's saying, apply your heart, apply your heart, apply your heart. Number three, pursue a peaceful heart. Proverbs 14, 30 says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. He's not saying to compromise your life and not progress, but he's saying, be content with what you have. Be content with who you are. Be at peace with where you, your lot in life. Be at peace with what God's called you to do and pursue it with a passion. But when you still pursue it passionately, you'll have peace. A heart at peace gives life to the body. And we all want that life. Look at the next one. Set your heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees in the very end. Psalm 119 verse 12 teaches us that. So we want to set our hearts on God. When we set our hearts on God, we'll keep his decrees. I think this is all intentional. I don't think that the soil just gets better and better and better without the farmer being intentional. I don't think anybody in this room drifts north. I think we drift south. Your heart doesn't drift north. Your heart drifts south. Nobody just just gets up there without applying it and without pursuing it. And this is about being intentional with the soil, which is your heart. Set your heart. And then the last one is this, turn your heart. And maybe today your heart needs to be turned. Perhaps um, Psalm 119 speaks to you, turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Boy, it's real easy to make life about you. It's real easy to say no, okay, yes, but. Those are real easy things to do. But he's asking you to turn your heart toward him, and then everything in your life kind of falls into place. I love what Jesus said when he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things then will be added unto you. You seek him first, things then begin to fall into amazing place. So maybe today you need to turn your heart. Maybe today you need to turn your life toward Christ and toward Jesus. This afternoon at five o'clock, we're going to do our last public beach baptism of this season. And um, it's a great opportunity for you to say, I believe in Jesus. I want Jesus to be my savior. I confess. I repent. I, I want to give Christ my life. And I'm going to identify with the greatest event in all of history, which is Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. And I just want you to know that this is a grand opportunity that we all have this afternoon. And I want to encourage you to consider it. I want to challenge you, if you've not done it, um, to be baptized by immersion 
uh, as an act of obedience, as an act of scripture that shows a picture and gives us some examples. So I, I want you to see our very last speech baptism. So if you would, this is an opportunity for you to be considering to turn your heart, and for those of you that are Christians, to identify with the greatest event in all of history, which was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Here was our last speech baptism. excited to be here as a family to be baptized in the Gulf of Mexico at Honeymoon Island where it's just an exceptionally beautiful place. publicly, personally, to say we love Christ and we want to grow in our faith with Him. Um, so I think that's why we're here today. <laughs> Just repeat after me. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. And my own personal Savior. My own personal Savior. My own personal Savior. Congratulations, guys. Amen. Amen. Right, let's hear for the King family. I'm just excited to go into the water and come up out of the water feeling renewed and uh, just choosing to be um, intent about glorifying God and all that I do. to get baptized, but I wanted to wait until 
I really felt that I was ready. So today, I'm making the an outward commitment to myself to, and to my Harborside family, and most importantly to Heister. I'm ready to just give give all I have to just Jesus and whatever he has planned for me is what I'm gonna do. Shelby one night called me and she said, I'm having a lot of anxiety. And the next day we got together and we were praying and she got a text message and it was the scripture, Hebrews 12, verse 12 through 13. So strengthen your weak knees and lift your drooping hands and make a straight path through your feet and whatever is lame in you, be healed. And so we're really excited about that. That's her new life verse is that even though she might have some disability here in the physical world, spiritually, she's no longer lame. You know, after watching uh, Shelby uh, be baptized, it's kind of like, and what's your excuse? <laughs> Say that one more time. So we, we offer you this opportunity this afternoon at 5 o'clock to come out there, go to the guest service desk right now in just a minute and sign up for tonight so we can get a T-shirt and just have your name. But um, we'd love to have you come, celebrate, we'll worship, we'll pray, we'll have, have a great night. And we'll, we'll worship the Lord, and he will be honored. Um, here's the benefits of applying your heart. Look at this. The very next one says, Proverbs, tw- uh, so I'm sorry, t- no, go ahead, Psalm 20. Psalm 20 says, may he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. See, he's working on your heart. They're going to pass out communion right now. Go ahead, pass, out, pass it out, please. And Hold the loaf and the cup. And I want you now to look on these five and pick one. I want you to pick one of these. Is it guard your heart, apply your heart, pursue a peaceful heart, set your heart, turn your heart? One of those probably pops off the screen. And during communion today, which which of those do you need God to work in your life? Psalm 51 says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And so I think when we come to communion, we ought to expect something. We ought to expect God to do something. We are celebrating what he did, but we're also living the life he came for us to live through his power. And so where does the power of the blood and the power of his body that he sacrificed and shed for you, where do you need it? What's the one area of your life Well, you just really want God to do a great... Is it to guard your heart? Apply your heart? Is there no peace? Set your heart? Turn your heart? I'm going to ask you just to spend a couple minutes and pray about one of these that God's going to work in your heart, and then I'll pray. You are awesome. You can't, we can't improve on the sewing. And we really, we'll never be able to improve on the seed. 
And we don't want to be the no. We don't want to be the okay. We don't want to be the yes, but. We want, we want to bear fruit. We want to be all in and bear fruit for you. So we come to you today thanking you, Jesus, for your sacrifice of your body and your blood. And we come expecting right now you to do something grand in the soil of the human heart. May you change and transform and cleanse our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.